Hello and welcome to Bonnets at Dawn, the podcast that... What is this podcast? We need to start writing this intro down. Uh-oh. I'm telling you. What is What's it? it about? Hello and welcome <laughs> to Bonnets at Dawn. Hello and welcome to Bonnets at Dawn, the podcast that explores the lives and works of 18th, 19th and 20th century women writers. I'm your host, Hannah Chapman. And I am your host, Lauren Burke. And this week, we are returning to the Bronte Parsonage and our panel with Isabel, Claire, Lauren, the other Lauren, not me, but I'm also on the panel. So just, I don't want to confuse you guys. And Amy, Um, we're going to go ahead and jump right in and pick up where we left off. This week, we are talking about feminism, seances, and fan fiction, which are like, Three of my favorite things. Yes, I'm just motioning at Lauren to just go into the next slide. Can I ask the experts a Heathcliff question? Yeah, yeah. So Fanny Ratchford talks about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry, I have drink. Fanny Ratchford, you need Harry and Peter Stone. Maybe I should be Team Fanny. Get that on a She talks about. Angelica and Amadeus as being the like pre Heathcliff and Kathy, mm-hmm. um, but then I couldn't find much more about that. Can you? Do you have any? Is that literally? Sorry, I am laughing because you're saying this. I've literally no idea about it. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know anything about the dream. <laughs> there is there is some scholarship out there that talks about that about different incarnations mm-hmm. of some of the Gondol characters as um, prototypes for. Because um, I also wondered, and I know this isn't Gondol, this is Angry and Glastown, but I felt like Quashia Quamina was also a bit of a Heathcliff because he gets like adopted, really mistreated by his adopted brothers, mm-hmm. and then goes out to get excellent mm-hmm. revenge. Yeah, I, I can put you in touch with the person to speak to as the expert on that. Is it the ghost of Fanny Ratchford? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a mystic. <laughs> We're going to do a seance. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Next event at the Bart Bronte. No, Bronte seance. Can no. we have a Ouija board Has down here? Has yeah. I, I mean, I have pitched it multiple times. <laughs> have we ever had, had like, like, those ghost really? yeah. Yeah. shows come on? No, yeah. we've had seances here. Yeah. I don't think we've had a seance. Have we not? We might have I'm been. thinking of that episode of Birds of a Feather. <laughs> Specific episode. We do, like, I... That's so random. That is so random. <laughs> like, I'm a sceptic with stuff like that. Like, I don't have a huge amount of time for it. But the one thing I will say, in case you're kind of out there, listeners are turning off in droves, is that when we do get people who come, who, you know, claim to have and you know... Sensitivity to the other side or whatever. Yes. They always focus on Mr. Bronte's bedroom. I must say, R- I do too. Do you know what? Tell me do you know more. What? Because no more that's slides. Where, that's why Bramwell died. And when we were here, he kept flicking the pencil from behind my ear. Remember? True story. And stuff does happen in that room. And when you say Charlotte Bronte in front of the mirror three times, Bramwell appears. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> like, you would expect. Like we we have had ghost hunters come in an evening and put in a pair of quotes there. And they always focus entirely on the Brontes and they always focus entirely on the dining room because it's like, that's where everything happens. Mm. But we have had people come in who can, you know, have got sensitivity or they hear something or they see auras and they always focus on Mr. Bronte's bedroom. Like, is stress. it because there's a chamber put in there and there's something there's in there? <laughs> no, there's not a chamber. Oh, the hot vapors. It's there's a vapors. warm impact. Don't okay. use it as a chamber <laughs> 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 
like I like that her mind was going to haunt the chamber You're a terrible house guest. Like, <laughs> what have you done to my bed warmer? <laughs> Airbnb. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, I've just bought that book about um, Did Charlotte Kill Them All? Yeah. Oh, oh, I ah. want to read that book. Yeah. We have yeah. that in the library. Do you? Yeah. I said I just bought it because someone told me about it. And yeah. I, I, um, yeah, I'm also gifting it to someone for Christmas. Oh. <laughs> so you've read it? it. I've read it. not read it yet. No, oh. I've just heard about it. That she's like a, basically a serial <laughs> killer. <laughs> I don't know. It was, like it was, it was written by a man. Is it was like she's a criminologist or something. Is she in cahoots with Arthur Bell Nichols? I'm not. I'm not sure. I'll, I've got to read it. Yet. There is a theory that Arthur Bell Nichols sounds mad. Yeah. <laughs> Why? <laughs> And then he still didn't what? get to be the... <laughs> to get to the Bronte millions of parts. <laughs> Good lord. To twirl his moustache. But then you pull off his rubber mask and it was old man Charlotte Bronte the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn kids. <laughs> the original Mission Impossible. <laughs> Guys, feminism. Yay. Where's the klaxon? The feminism bell goes off. Bong. Um, Claire, you have this great chapter in your book entitled yeah. Feminist Heights. Yeah. So... Uh, I'm guessing you would call Wuthering Heights a proto-feminist text. Yeah, I would. I mean, when I've kind of talked to people about this, some people get really annoyed with me about it because mm-hmm. they kind of say, well, you know, there's not this big... I've bored you with this before, you know, there's not this big kind of, you know, overt statement of equality or anything in it. But I mm-hmm. think if you look at some of the comments and the, the issues that she's tackling in it about women and what it means to be a woman in the 19th century, about... Some of the legal restrictions, you know, particularly the whole um, uh, Mrs. Heathcliff narrative, you know, the laws of coverture at the time, which meant she was Heathcliff's property, um, you know, the, the lack of kind of custody rights and the fact that she has to run off. Um, and, the, you know, all of the stuff with the second Cathy, that kind of imprisonment of a woman, um, I find it really difficult to not see that as Emily writing around women's issues, you know, and of the day in a very similar but different way to her sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, but we judge, I guess the other novels are kind of so much more overt in their, like, feminist celebration. Right. But I, I find it really difficult not to. And I think particularly if you go down the cautionary tale, mm-hmm. avenue, region of the book, then it's really hard not to see it as um, Emily being minded of women's issues mm-hmm. in her time. Because why does... Kathy made the decision to not marry Heathcliff to marry Edgar Linton. Mm. It's an entirely economic. Well, I view it as an entirely economic. It's an entirely yeah. gendered and economic. Yeah, sense. she's she's sure. looking at her life and going, yeah. okay, I can live in a haystack with somebody who has got zero respect and zero prospects, or I can find some kind of comfort, some kind yeah. of safety. Like her life at the Heights is is just absolute hell yeah. and she could go and move somewhere where they've got you know scarlet crimson tapers and a dining table yeah. and all these other mm-hmm. nice little things yeah. and yet we judge her so harshly she's like, identified for that she's really about Kathy yeah. and you just mm-hmm. go well what the hell would you do we all like to yeah. think we'd have the kind of you know there till death sort yeah. of mindset but yeah it, I don't think you can do yeah, it we went for a walk in the rain this morning and it was cold there yeah. you go. It, it's <laughs> easy, easy to, to die in old days. Yeah. We were, like, <laughs> my <laughs> jeans got wet and I was like, I'm ready. I'm going to marry Edgar. <laughs> <laughs> my legs are wet. Lady <laughs> 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 
but also feminism is also about men and what impacts men and I think there's a mm-hmm. whole there's, you know lots of the characters in there it's about what does it mean to be a man you know whether you're looking at Hindley or you're looking at Heathcliff or you're looking at Edgar all of them are oh, struggling Lockwood. yeah <laughs> Lockwood really is having a crisis of identity yeah. isn't he in so many ways <laughs> but I think it is about what does it mean to be a man and again it's incredibly gendered and looking at the inequalities that they face um how can it not be feminist? But people get so angry, don't they? And I don't yes. understand. Like, I constantly bring any book I'm reading back to feminism. Like, I'm a wonderful dinner party guest. I won't bore you at all. Mm. Um, but, like, I, I don't understand why people viscerally have to push against Emily being feminist. Just because feminism is still a dirty word, I think, for yeah. so many people. And you just think, why? Well, what, there's, <laughs> no, there's no I am no bird scene in there. Yeah, so it can't be feminist. Yeah, right. Emily but, wouldn't have understood what a feminist was because yeah. the concept wasn't around. Yeah. Oh, right, but it doesn't mean that she didn't have thoughts and feelings and about and agency. Of, yeah, and of course, women were writing like, feminist ideas for a long time before we gave it that label at the end yeah. of the century, you know. Does that mean we dismiss all of the other women's writing that's gone before? You know, Mary Wollstonecraft, sorry. You know, we can't call you a feminist. The word wasn't around then. You know, it's... Um, if you have to jump down to semantics in order to prove your yeah. point, I think... But yeah, no, people, I've, I've had people get really quite angry um, with me about that and um, yeah, just been really resistant and it's because exactly that point there's just no, I'm no bird, um, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Do you think that people are happier to have like Charlotte and Anne be perceived mm. as feminists because they were more like, I don't know, they, people got married off happily at the end of their books mm. and also as personalities, the way people perceive them, like Anne yeah. was like meant to be quiet and religious yeah. so it's okay that she wrote The Tent of Wildfell Hall. Because yeah. she didn't know what she was doing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Charlotte, like, she married someone in the end, so it was fine. Yeah. Whereas yeah. maybe yeah. Emily's, like, too... She resists that narrative. She's too risky. Yeah. Too risky. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, that's one of the things I'm really interested in is this idea that, you know, people look at her as less womanly than the others, mm-hmm. so they call her masculine. Mm-hmm. And it's just so... I mean, it just doesn't make any sense in today's world at all. Um, but if you think about what that means, you know, if she wasn't being your kind of classic stereotypical 19th century woman and she was being different, well, that's, again, playing with ideas of gender. And, you know, she would have, you know, if, if what people say is true, then she would have had backlash in her own time. You know, we know yeah. that. Cause people yeah. kind of, you know, that's say what, stuff about her not being, yeah. that's you know, what, um, atypical or typical, rather. Somebody that comes and does a lot of research, who you should have on the show sometime, I'll mm-hmm. introduce you. Um, Eleanor, ha- I can never pronounce Eleanor's surname because it's too mm-hmm. posh for mm-hmm. me to pronounce. <laughs> but um, she does a lot, she's completely in the dress world, she does all the costume and things. Yes, she's yeah, done the stuff on Charlotte's yeah, dress, yeah, the yeah, dress, yeah, 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 the gravy. Yeah. And every time I see her and she comes up here, I'm always like, Tell me again about Emily wearing a corset. And she, <laughs> sorry, with corset again. But um, she always says, of course she would have worn a corset because she was a vicar's daughter and if she was striding out all over the place and not wearing a corset, everybody would have known about mm. it and would have been discussing it. Mm. it been the stationary man would have written about it, wouldn't yeah. it? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Can we talk about oh. problematic men? Yeah, yeah. John Greenwood. <laughs> I do think it stands Mr. Nichols in good stead, but he was like, he's a weirdo as well. Because <laughs> he's a creepy man alive. Yeah. The fact just, that he's a chronicler, you mean? He just, he, he just has this sort of parasitic interest in the Brontes and shops 
kind of details of their yeah. lives around her anyways he isn't he the one who tells mrs gaskell that charlotte's died yes just because he wants to be the first one he's like oh did you hear she's dead yeah <laughs> no i um in fairness i think she was like plugging in for details yeah because she was hey like, man is my friend dead no no because she, she did send a letter i'm sure she sent a letter where she was like i need to know it all and he's like you've come to a right source and he's like <laughs> and he tells it but for people who don't know he was a local stationer in the Salton paper and for some reason that makes him think that um he can know everything about everything and he was particularly obsessed with emily and he wanted to now was it him or like his grandchild he wanted to be called bronte wanted to be baptized with the name bronte and asked oh. mr nichols to do it and Mr Nichols was like that is weird not doing it <laughs> so that's the thing that I think that's my favourite Mr Nichols you know Nichols what I would love to be uncovered Bronte fan fiction by the stationary man things like Bramwell setting fire to the bed that comes from a group mm, yeah. the story about I'm beating pretty the sure dog? I dog no now. I don't think beating the dog but I think that like, the pair of the pair of yeah that's um, Bronte shot and stories <laughs> but yeah that would come from him do you think he was just really lonely then is that the you know, a huge family no Greenwoods you could still be lonely like but he was like yeah. so interested in other yeah. people's lives like Maybe. he was living kind of through them in some way Vicarious. or was he just like stranger danger did he have ideas do you think he he was quite aspirational and he thought this is how I kind of elevate myself or no, it's a proper power show. thing to be really nosy, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, have you got his diaries? Because I'm no, them. we've just got photocopies. So where are the originals? Don't know. Oh yeah, don't the British don't Library got them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that they're in a private collection. Okay. okay. Don't you think the Stationary Man is like a good name for a, like a film? A John McCarthy movie. And a serial killer flick. Like, like Bronte biopic, but it's like told through him, like following them around. Yeah. Do you think he just was really? That. Sounds we great. We write that. Write to self. Go on. Do you think he just really, really fancied Emily and People was just sleazy that, and gross, and then she was just like back away? But it's interesting because, like, if you look at, you know, we know that Charlotte ended up with um, Arthur Bond because we know she had multiple proposals. We've got this kind of demonic obsession with creating this kind of love between um, William Waitman and Anne. Mm-hmm. You don't have that with Emily. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a person in the 20s who misread something. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Create, was that uh, no, it was, was not Virginia, Virginia Moore and the, the life of eager death yeah. of Emily Bronte. She yeah. misread Love's Farewell as Louis Parentel. in our kind of pop culture idea but we don't want it to be tied down with I've, I've, again yeah. I've, I've met so many wonderful people this year but I've been struck by how many times people have come saying but there, mu- there must have been someone there mu- she must have been in love yeah. with somebody we just don't know and it's yeah. like oh, you can't possibly have right, written yeah, about that sort because of without it, knowing it yeah exactly oh my God, fan fiction when you're a teenager of course you can yeah. like I mean well, I mean was you know was Charles Dickens a you know the Leader of a ragtag group of pickpockets, exactly. obviously a prostitute. I know. No, yeah. to write them. Yeah, no yeah. one questions men. No, and it's no, gender. No. It's absolutely gender because yeah. we get so it's many people come around, around here. Mm-hmm. So who is the real Heathcliff? Where's the real? Yeah. Like they made I it up. Jane Austen gets the same thing. Thanks, right? yes, Lauren. I I'll bring her up. <laughs> but she does. Like persuasion is her life story. I was just at a talk where they were like, "This is her life story." 
There had to be a Wentworth for Jane Austen. What was it in that? but boxed? Hmm? Was there one but boxed? <laughs> Thomas Lefroy is the character oh, Thomas Lefroy <laughs> <laughs> who is boxing is based on a real person. What book is that in? <laughs> James Jane. Oh yeah. The James Magic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't believe now. We know that Jane Austen had like romances and she had like relationships, how deeply passionate they were, I think, is the bit where people start to argue or get fixated on the idea that she had to have like one person in her life who she was pining after and Thomas Lefroy is the person that's really been like kind of held up as that icon, the person that she loved and lost and thought about for the rest of her life. And so in persuasion it's, you know, when you're waiting for someone who doesn't come back. But it is a thing that we do to women writers where we say you can't write about love unless you've like experienced, experienced it yourself. Yeah, yeah. And like a fleecing love, a love that doesn't work out, doesn't carry the same weight, like and to be fair, if you look at Villette, you can see why people look at the Bronte sisters and think, oh, well, they wrote what they knew. Yeah. And for Professor. You know, Charlotte yeah, Charlotte was having a, an affair with... No. No. A Come romance. On. A little one-sided crush. She was a one-sided crush. She was exchanged. She wrote to him one time. I don't know. <laughs> she double-messaged and got ghosted. Yeah, yeah. right. She double-messaged. She got ghosted. Oh, she got ghosted so hard. Oh, no. yeah. Yeah. The ticks never went blue. Yeah. She she got two kids. She had an affair with a lecturer man. She hates French people. I know about Charlotte Bronte. <laughs> <laughs> she hates Catholics. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And the French. Alison, you know, artist. Yeah, we've got a picture up now, which is Emily Amazing. with a gun in the graveyard, looking like she's in a Wild West movie. Yeah. It's good. Why is she in the graveyard? Uh, well, is. because when I sent the notes to... Uh, Alice, I said, uh, put gravestone. Because <laughs> 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 that's her, that's yeah. Emily's native habitat, isn't it? Yeah. She's found kind of haunting graveyards, wandering around in a long cloak <laughs> and looking. She's shooting men. Yeah. She's, she's like just in the graveyard picking them off. Because there's so many men out there. She's like the three men that are left in Howard. She's like bang, 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 done. Who's aiming at Jones? Yeah, the yeah. sanctuary man. <laughs> Well, I do like that she was the only one that Patrick trusted with the gun. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. What does that say? I think he trusted her with the upkeep of the household. Mm -hmm. Which is why I think, you know, like that about Bramwell that we were saying earlier, I think that's why she was. The idea of her being. She was just the one that yeah. wanted to keep a tidy ship at home. She had to deal with him more often. She had more tolerance. She had more patience for him because it was just her everyday life. Mm-hmm. And I think the gun just tells us how responsible. I mean, she must have been. Like he must mm-hmm. have known. You know, she's not going to go and kill the stationer. Or, you know, <laughs> no, do you know what I mean? Though? Like she's yeah. not risky to give a gun to. That, right. You know, she's. You know, she will use it properly. Um, yeah. I think yeah. my dad would give me a gun. They give it to my sister. Like, <laughs> like, why can't I have it? Why does my sister have it? Yeah. I also love like, she gets the map. For artist reference, didn't know where exactly it was placed. And so then I had to ask Amy today. Those are the kind of questions you get all the time. Like, Amy, where 
Would she fire the gun? Like, oh, surely yeah. that's what it is. That's I think yeah, the baggy, the famous baggy sleeves on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, you I love yeah. the sleeves. <laughs> but people love this idea of only firing the gun. Like when we get, you know, journalists come around or if they're doing a documentary about their lives, they always like fixate on and fired remember. a gun because yeah. it's this idea of her as being kind of transgressive. Yeah. And yeah. you know, she's dangerous. So yeah, mm-hmm. people love that idea of her being dangerous, wild. Uh, you know, completely. Um, uncontrollable and kind of you know epitomizes it. So all season we've been talking about Emily myths and misconceptions. Uh, this is open to anyone, but what is your favourite like Emily myth or story? The sleeves. The sleeves. <laughs> the sleeves. <laughs> Tell us about the sleeves. No, I just like the thing that everyone's like, oh, she's so unfashionable because she of her sleeves. sleeves. Yeah. 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 And I just really like that. It's like she likes. She knows what she likes. Yeah. But was she unfashionable? Because we had this discussion where I was like, oh, was she dated? Was she unfashionable? And then I came here the first time at the Bronte Parsonage and we had the you had the um, costumes from oh, Toronto. Invisible, yeah. And I, I was like, oh, that costume design is great, but it's very, the, the lightning bolt. I was like, oh, I, I find it very fashionable, though. I love, <laughs> I actually would love one for myself. That's fashionable by today's standards. Yeah, so and yeah, also, yeah, yeah liking, liking something doesn't necessarily mean that like, people at the time would be like, yeah, but it's a, nice a certain kicks. sort of style, right? Like, you know, that pattern. Like, I think. Oh, was, yeah. People were like, whoa. <laughs> you know, because obviously, because yeah. I brought it to Alan Nussing was like, whoa. It's bold. It's a choice. It's <laughs> yeah. a style choice. So it's yeah. not like that she's unconscious about it. So she's making a decision. Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting. I think I'm trying to remember back a couple of years when we had the costumes and we had Tom Pye, the costume designer, kind of was really helpful and really generous with his time. But I think he said that Chloe Peary, the actress who played Emily, they didn't lace her cost, her corset as tightly as the other I girls. I've heard that. And yeah. Because there's a shot in it when Bramwell's kicking off about being like that he couldn't get to London because it, it was mugged some like and there's a scene where Emily's watching him but obviously it was a few years before so she needed to look younger where they did really lace her in to make her look like yeah. smaller or more gangly or something because there's this idea isn't it that Emily would have kind of pushed back against that kind of restraint of femininity and that's the easiest way to do it with a corset I'm sure Tom said there was one scene where she's not even wearing a corset probably I mean she's slim anyway it's cool, isn't she yeah but like Eleanor was a consultant on that and she would have said that she should have but then also, like, there's that scene when they go to London and we know for sure that they were wearing brown dresses because they were like, oh, God, we look ridiculous in our little brown dresses. <laughs> and then they were in, like, bright blue. Like, hello, at the Bronte sisters. Yeah. So it's, we know, beautiful dresses up. But, um, in the, uh, I saw uh, Wasted, the musical, mm-hmm. the Bronte yeah. musical. They get them sunglasses in the scene when they went to uh, That's cool. Charlotte and both put on a pair of sunglasses. It was very cool. First, you know, first time outside of Howarth in a while, probably direct sunlight would have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're the best Ray Bands. Any myths, stories? I've talked about the Keeper one before, so I won't say that again. But that really, that really yeah, frustrates sure. me as a myth. Mm-hmm. Um, Which one? The beaten up. Oh, that. Yeah. Um, do you think a, you didn't do it? It's do just it. another one of Gaskell's, you know, with all the other kind of mm. violent imagery that Gaskell embellishes in mm. her book. Because it works, doesn't it? The yeah. idea works. Yeah. yeah, if you read it, it reads like, an, it reads like a story. Um, it's like Wuthering Heights. Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, uh, but there's no, there's no evidence, but it just, it sticks. It's really stuck. People don't want to let 
that idea go. But you believe that one, don't you? I I'm do sure. believe that yeah. one. Because yeah. I, I believe in beating up dogs. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're really really don't. Don't. I really don't. I really don't. I think it's awful. I don't. I was a very good dog owner until she died. Anyway. um did she die? beating up. No, she wasn't. But there is a place in the entrance hall where it is feasible that Keeper could have been trapped. It's like Keeper shaped and had his nose beaten. But I don't know, do I? <laughs> what but do we, I know? we don't hold, like, if you've got academics and historians, they don't seem to hold the Gaskell stories to as much sort of academic rigour as you would do mm. any other source. It's like well, the Gaskell stories are so true. Nowadays, more so, but for a very long time, it was just taken as gospel. So yeah, that yeah. school must have known. It's really interesting, actually. Yeah, and it's there was a kind of a little bit of a kind of questioning of that in the kind of nineties and in the kind of early noughties. I hate that word. Um, and then it seemed to be accepted. Actually, Gaskell is as much fiction. You know, the life of Charlotte Bronte is a fiction as much as anything else. But then it seems to have been a bit of a backlash, and people are now suddenly really kind of going, "No, it's it's authority. It is." Historical fact and completely accurate. It's going so back around. Weird. I didn't yeah. realize that. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, but then there are other people, you know, uh, that you know, like kind of, you know, Bronte, other Bronte scholars who are kind of going, no, we need to push back against this because it's just we know so much of it is an embellishment. It's huge. I think the thing that should be pushed back against is the idea that you can take one source yeah. as gospel yeah. and yeah. that and accurate research it. isn't looking at multiple sources yeah. and seeing yeah. which right. things stack up against each other and which things you can kind of let go because when Austin died they like her yeah. male relatives were really trying to paint this picture that just doesn't line up with yeah. what she was writing at yeah. all and you could look at that text and be like well her brother and her nephew wrote that and they knew her really well so yeah. that's got to be accurate yeah. but then like is it yeah. like when you look mm. at her letters like no yeah so I think the one thing that's really in vogue at the minute is hating Charlotte yeah, yeah, I yeah. feel really. I'm, I feel, You're a Charlotte Defender. Yeah, I am a Charlotte Defender because I think it's just really like it's just it's a just hard silly binary to have, isn't it? Yeah, you've got to be Charlotte or Emily. And yeah. also, just she, I just think it. She was in a really t- weird and tough position, and like imagine being the last one left, yeah, and responsible yeah. for the kind of creating mm. the people that you want your sisters to be remembered yeah. as. Mm-hmm. Re- one thing I thought was really interesting is I really enjoyed I really enjoyed Samantha Ellis's book about mm. Anne and the bit in it where she discusses whether it was maybe Anne and Emily who bur- Anne who burnt their own yeah. juvenilia and I really yeah. liked that as because yeah. I thought like actually I don't know this is obviously my own interpretation of Emily but I feel like maybe she I don't obviously she didn't want anyone to read her work she, if she got that freaked out by Charlotte publishing the poems mm. what would she think about all of these mm. intensely private so I think she definitely would have said, like, burn it all. Yeah, yeah. Burn it down. But, like, Elizabeth Gaskell was horrified at the thought of someone writing a biography about her. In many of her letters, she, she writes, please destroy this. And there are existing letters with, like, at the end, please destroy this. Wow. So she, yeah. it's really interesting that she had that, like, foresight to start curating her own... People ignored her. <laughs> like, didn't that's how we know. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't destroy them. So, yeah. I think the idea I'd like to get rid of is that we have enough evidence to build an Emily personality. Mm-hmm. Like, we just, we don't. We can question what's out there. And I think Claire's book did an awful lot of important work in, in doing that, mm-hmm. in looking at these kind of cultural touchstones that we've just put up there and never questioned and sort of mm-hmm. went, actually, what's the evidence for this? And if we look at this realistically, you know, I think that was really important. But the, this idea that we 
we know Emily and we can make her be a mystic of the Moors or she can be some kind of, you know, she seems to be the person, the figure in the family who most sort of retroactic diagnoses have been pushed mm. at. Mm -hmm. She was Asperger's, she was yeah. genderqueer, she was this, she was Anorexic. that. Maybe she Autistic. was, but we don't know and we can't figure it out from mm. here. So please don't write another sort of BuzzFeed clickbait headline of she was this. Are we some random man in the graveyard? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, don't get that stuff. That was really rude about the curation of the museum, oh, wow. by the way. <laughs> That's really rude. My thing, like Lauren, is um, to get rid of people who um, put too much weight into everything in the Bronte family. Like, everything was like, oh, do you think that they both read this book? It was a thing. Yeah, because people do read the same books when they live yeah. in the same house yeah. and they're in a family. Yeah. You would discuss that. Like, why always put such a huge level of weight on something? And also the, the kind of idea, like, going back to the relationships between them, you know, that it had to be this person versus that person yeah. and that was how it was their entire life and yeah, this is how so they simplistic. always felt yeah. about each other and you think they're siblings yeah. You know? yeah show me siblings that don't fight don't have strained relationships or you know have kind of waving relationships and you know moments where they at each other's throats and then moments where they love each other yeah. that's mm -hmm. that's families right yeah. <laughs> um yeah that bugs yeah. me we do want to make them simplistic don't we we want to make them easy to digest and i think that's why emily's Possibly my favourite Bronte because she's the one that's least digestible. Mm -hmm. You can't rub off her rough yeah. edges in the same way. I think that actually, that all answers our next question, honestly. This was um, from Kathleen Flynn, and she wanted to know what is the most widespread misconception about Emily. What's the craziest thing someone's uh, come into the museum and said to you guys? Oh, God, it's not. <laughs> um, we need that folder that's all the kind of crazy Where's he's just buried? Where is he for people can't, people in can't here, separate. in the corner, yeah. right yeah. there. Yeah. He's yeah. Him right now. <laughs> um, there are lots. There's so many sometimes. Yeah, I mean, but the thing is, that you almost can't call them misconceptions because we don't know that they aren't true. No. Yeah. We just true. suspect sure. that they're not. Except for the Heathcliff thing. There's stuff about yeah. her being really angry all the time. Um, oh, the bullying Charlotte. Yeah, yeah and um, mm. who was it? Someone the other, sorry, I've forgotten the name, who kind of wrote, you know, she's, um, and I think even in that Guardian article it comes up again about this idea that she was so angry. People were frightened of her, she was a bully. Mm -hmm. And you just think, what's that based on? I think, I, I don't know, I think where it comes from is... Like, I think of Charlotte, when you read her letters, where, you know, when she's being invited to stay with this case or whatever, she's a big one to go, I can't, my father needs me, I can't go. Yeah. She, she kind of puts societal, um, you know, it's a societally acceptable excuse, I can't, I have to care for my father. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes when Emily, when Charlotte just didn't want to do something in Brussels, she was like, I can't, Emily won't, because Emily was already known as somebody who yeah. didn't care to make other people like yeah. her, so it was easier. Yeah. I used to do that at parties when I was a teenager. I'd be like, my, my dad is so strict. Yeah. She'd have to leave at midnight, but I was afraid to stay at parties. I said to, when Lauren had her baby, I was Aww. thinking, now, if you can't go somewhere, don't say, I'm sorry, my baby's ill. Because no one will believe you, because the minute you've got yeah. a kid, and it's <laughs> like, oh, them. my kid's sick, it's like... That's the excuse, isn't it? Yeah, but that's, that's what my dad says to me all the time. But that's Your not to Ill. attack Charlotte. You know, that's not to demonise Charlotte. But yeah, yeah. The, the idea of Emily being a bully, really, I try and be sort of 
you know, professional and, and look at it, mm. you know, sensibly and, and accept that people have got different aspects. But I just don't see Emily as a bully. And yeah. I think that's personal, Lauren, as opposed to professional, Lauren. But that one kind of bugs me. She seemed like, I don't know, like the whole thing about her being so organised and practical and reliable that her father gave her the gun and stuff. Like, you wouldn't give a gun to the family bully. No, yeah. 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 the one that's really angry is the yeah. everyone. You they know. bullied it off you. Maybe yeah. he didn't bully it to her. Maybe that's the biggest misconception. <laughs> Snatched it. Yeah. yeah. Give me the gun, Dad. Because she was the one in charge of the. You know, she invested all the money. Yeah. In the girls. Yeah. You know, she yeah. was playing the stock market. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's not Emily wafting around on the moors in a bonnet, sort of hoping for death and looking vaguely tubercular. Yeah. But there are nice stories about Emily, mm. but don't come up so often. Like, Ellen Nussie said that if you were smiled at by Emily, it was yeah. something to cherish. And there's that, I really like the story where um, Mary Taylor was staying with her sister, Martha, who died, but giggled a lot, and apparently <laughs> Bramwell thought that was funny. Um, and <laughs> I think somebody asked Mary what her relationship with God, with, God with, was, and she said, that's between me and him, and Emily just went, that's right. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, she said something. <laughs> but yeah. I like but the, nice the, little stories. The one of when Ellen's writing in reminiscences is when they're at um, the waterfall and Emily's like playing yeah. with the tadpoles. Oh, yeah. 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 But that's sweet and cute. Yeah. You know. We never talk about those things ever, do we? Yeah. We always talk about the craze. She's beating a dog again. Yeah. <laughs> the other one that annoys me, um, I've been writing a bit about lately, is the one about. Um, she willed herself to die. She wanted to die. Um, oh, well, that whole stuff. Yeah, you, you're, you're spreading it. Uh, just the whole thing about her death and the whole. Um, I mean, I well, don't believe it, by the way. People have said so. I've read she didn't know she was going to die. She uh, knew she was ill and wanted to die in any way. Um, oh, she you know she was a silly girl, foolish, kind of gave in at the end. And you kind of, if you look at, I mean you know, for all the dubious stuff that Charlotte writes afterwards, if you look at Charlotte's letters about Emily's diet, uh, diet it's clear that they were having conversations about her being ill, or Charlotte was trying to talk to mm-hmm. her about it, mm-hmm. and Emily was just like, no, I don't want to talk about this. So she clearly knew she was ill, but why mm-hmm. people then kind of make it into the, well, she didn't, you know, she didn't want to do anything, you know, that's her choice. Um, and I don't know, I've been looking a little bit about why this discussion about... Um, uh, you know the idea that she called for a doctor at the last minute before she died mm-hmm. why that might be the kind of case and, and looking at some of the ideas around that I think the answer is pretty obvious it's that she knew tuberculosis was a death sentence and you know that actually mm-hmm. we don't even know if that calling for the doctor thing is true in the first place mm-hmm. um, so I just the, the, the stuff about the death yeah she willed herself to death she starved herself to death all that kind of stuff because just Heathcliff did it Yes, and it always is based back on that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then the comments about her being really thin afterwards, well, that's kind of what tuberculosis did. Yeah. That's yeah. why it was called consumption. Yeah, and it's this idea that dying of tuberculosis is cut down to like film and opera, that you know, you die of tuberculosis and it's just very beautiful and pale and mm. wafting, and then you can sing an aria and then you die. Yeah. Tuberculosis was a bloody yeah, horrible way to go. It's yeah. grim and painful. Yeah, I've read a lot about it this week. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and there's no treatments for it in that day. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. Cod liver oil. Yeah, I'll just go mention that. Yeah. She wouldn't yeah. have been the first person to be like, I'm just going to pretend it's not happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially if she'd just witnessed it happening to Bramwell. To Bramwell, yeah. yeah. Some of the treatments at the time yeah, pretty grossly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, Charlotte sees Bramwell, Emily, and Anne die in quick succession from TB, and yet the death that seems to have the biggest impact on her in terms of the writing of letters that she does later is Emily. Emily. Yeah. 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 Um, and she can't cope with the fact that Emily 
is um, yeah, doesn't want to talk about it and doesn't yeah. want to kind of engage. She, that's, that's why she, troubles her. That's why she builds this narrative of and went willingly to the grave that people yeah. are kind of pushing back against yeah. now because she's contrasting her with Emily, who yeah. seemed to she didn't want to let God have her. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that a lot of the, so a lot of the ideas we have about the death is seeing it from different people's perspectives, but actually, it's also just a, a discussion topic that's filled with just so many rumors. Yeah, I mean, you write about her knowing it was death sentence because obviously, as soon as Anne exhibited symptoms, she was like, "I need to see a doctor now." Yeah, like, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. And there's um, one of the things interesting. I'm, I'm really anti kind of reading any of the poetry or Weatherman Heights biographically because I just don't think it gives much in a way. Um, but there is a moment in Weatherman Heights. It's when um, Hindley's wife dies. Yeah. And he kind of has a moment where he's. Uh, or I think I think it's Nelly that comments. But basically he's kind of pretending that she's not dying of, of tuberculosis and everyone else knows. And you think that's really interesting that, that she's writing that kind of scene. So she knows what tuberculosis is, she knows it's a death sentence. Um, and I don't think for a minute she's kind of, you know, it been ignorant about it. But mm. yeah, willed herself to death, therefore it was suicide, all of that stuff is just, that annoys me. On that miserable note. I know, we loved on the death note. No, no, bring it back, bring it back. Well, got another drawing. Yay! It's our last one. This is Kaylee Bales and um, the lightning bolt dress. Yeah, some of it was inspired by my episode, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. This is mine. It's good. It's it's badass. I like how she looks like peeved. Like, I want copies of all of these for my wall, please. That'll get you a little, we're going to make a zine. So I'll get you guys all the zine for this. That's cool. We did have a couple questions from our listeners on our Facebook group. Oh yeah, lovely. <laughs> so, um, if anyone knows, what were the literary influences behind Wuthering Heights? I don't think you can pin it down to any single literary influence. I mean, we know all the classics that we know that are right. You know, they're reading Byron and all of those kind of romantic writers. Um, she mentions King Lear. Yeah, there's there's the Bible. <laughs> there's just yeah, yeah. loads, you know, that's going on that they've read. I think everything is formative in it. Um, but of course, we also talked about Gondel <laughs> being an influence yeah. in her own writing and her own creativity. Um, Gothic. Sorry? German Gothic? Oh, yeah, all of the German Gothic kind of narratives, folklore, all of that kind of stuff. Um, There are loads. There's not one single source that you can pin it down to. Mm -hmm. It's like people write whole books about that. (laughs) that (laughs) Yeah. What are those books called? (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll send you the direct links to all of the sources. Excellent. Lauren will post that. Um, Emily's sexuality. Hot topic. Was she sexually fluid? Asexual? We have asexual. No yeah, we have no, no idea. idea. Yeah, that's yeah. the only thing we do know is that we don't, don't know. That we don't know. <laughs> that we don't know. Yeah. That is a popular reading of her, though. Yeah. Anyone it is. have any well, asexual? Asexual or lesbian yeah. or? But that's the thing that fascinates me about Emily because at one you've got this chorus of people insist that Emily must have known true, intensely passionate love in order to write Wuthering Heights, and then an equally vocal, equally committed group of people saying she was asexual. Yeah. How can the two coexist? They do. <laughs> um, but they, yeah. And then yeah. there's the stories about you know we have bed plays. They're very nice plays. Oh well, and she was clearly yeah. doing things with her sisters in the childhood. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I never heard that. Yeah, yeah. I have. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. All of those myths come out at a time which is basically early 20th century when Freudian psychoanalysis is really popular and they're all related to um, they kind of take ideas from Gaskell mix it with a bit of Freud and then you get a number of fiction writers writing 
basically novels and other, and other bi- early biographies in that period, all of which play with those ideas and put two and two together and make five. And we don't know anything about her sexuality mm-hmm. at all to say if it was fluid or not. Yeah. I like the depiction of her in, um, if anyone's ever seen Psycho Bitches, but it was on Sky Arts. And there's yeah. like, it's on YouTube, it? actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. <laughs> but it has this depiction of there's Charlotte, Emily and Anne. And Anne's very quiet, and Charlotte <laughs> and Emily—they're like children and miss problem all the time. And like Charlotte and Emily are just having a huge go at each other for not having lost their virginities, basically. <laughs> if you read between the lines, and then yeah, Anne just goes, "Oh, I sold out in six weeks." Like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny though, isn't it? Is it? Good. It's not it's just good, me yeah. saying it. No, it's good. It I'll fun. post it in the Facebook group. Yeah, yeah, I like it. People should see it. Talk about bronzes and sex. Yeah. There's never any discussion about was you know was Anne's sexuality fluid? Was Charlotte? People don't. Yeah, she was in love with the women. women. Of <laughs> <laughs> oh, she was hetero. <laughs> but yeah, that's exactly what people think. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. But then there's also the idea that Emily and Anne were, were as you kind of alluded to, you know, were um, you know incestuous lesbians as well. They're so be that one. Really? No. All, all the, the brand the, stuff. The Brandwell like, thing. I, yeah, that she wrote Heathcliff or Hindley because he was meant to be yes. a version of... Yes. Oh, 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 that's oh. insane. Why are people obsessed with the Brontes all having that one other? Because they've read Flowers in the Attic and Elizabeth Gaskell said <laughs> that they lived in this remote place. There's no one else around, so they're just locked in this little house. Well, that's house not true. They're yeah. a stationer watching everything they did. Oh, no. It just got you would have picked up on it, for sure. <laughs> I don't know what I said. I'm sorry. <laughs> so then to close the listener questions before we open it up to audience questions. Helen. <laughs> Um, what's one thing that you can think of that people should know about Emily Bronte? And that's one thing each, like, just oh, one. Crumbs. Start at that end. No, <laughs> so I can think. I've got one. Um, so I think one thing people should definitely know about Emily Bronte is um, just how good she was with animals. And this idea that she was always kind of, you know, looking after sick, injured animals, you know, bringing back, you know, abandoned birds and whatnot. And I think that tells us so much about her as a kind of, um, you know, environmentalist and someone who, you know, actually cared, was, you know, was able to kind of spend and put in, you know, invest her time in that kind of compassionate act. And again, it's that, that kind of narrative, you know, she looked after more animals and rehabilitated more animals than the one story about her being up keeper that kind yeah. of, you know, yeah. takes, you know, is the one dominant idea we have about her. So I think that idea that she was pretty much akin to, you know, or into that kind of animal rehabilitation, um, you know, when it kind of came into her life, I think it's really important. I would say forget what you think you know and start again. Look at what, you know, all these ideas that you might have, just, just question them and if you still come out thinking the same thing then that's fine mm. but maybe just start from carte blanche and if it comes from mrs gaskell just put a big question mark on it um, <laughs> and have a bit of a think first um what is one thing you think people should know about emily bronte i think my favorite i think my favorite thing about emily bronte is like the gondol stuff and that she invented such a like weird and amazing world so i think if somebody didn't know about Gondor, that would be the thing. Yeah. I think I would want them to know about Emily. You've all said the good stuff. <laughs> so, uh, I'll say that she was very good at baking. 
That's actually yeah. my second one. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, like, should I say bacon or should I say gondol? No, she was really good at bacon. <laughs> so we should all remember that. If she was around now, she'd brown the bacon off and she'd bring us a good old bit of bread. She yeah. would not have know, any patience is, for Hollywood. She won't have patience for Hollywood <laughs> and she won't be making anything she didn't know how to make. You know, like the uh, technical talent, she'd just be like, nah. And she'd go, she'd definitely put stuff in the bin and walk off. More applesauce, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we are back. So um, I have to say, I really love that episode. It actually made me smile earlier on today when I was listening back and I was having a bad morning. So memories. (laughs) Memories. Thank you guys so, so, so much for joining us in December, um, in Howarth. um, In the rain. In the rain. (laughs) Just to to bang on about Emily Bronte. It was such a good day. Um, also, so many good book ideas in this episode. I don't know if you noticed that. Oh, there was uh, <laughs> the stationary man, which you called out. Like, we should definitely write that feature film for sure. I like and, to think um, of it as being like a thriller now. Yeah. Back. Like, you know, when Robin Williams did one hour photo. <laughs> <laughs> it would definitely have the same, like, color palette as well. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, a grim thriller. I like it. And... um the haunted chamber pot, which uh, that conversation I really, really loved. If Isabel is up for drawing that, I I will write the haunted chamber pot right now and um, shop it around. There's a market for that, right? Yeah, and if you sell the rights to be a film, I would like to play the person who confuses the bed warmer for the chamber pot. Okay, perfect. But I want I that to be my role. Thank you. Bonnets at Dawn production, guys. Be on the lookout for that. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, again, thank you guys so much. And please, please, uh, pick up Isabel's book when it comes out. We will keep you guys informed as to when that drops and then go ahead and buy Emily Reappraised by Claire O'Callaghan, our BFF, our, our Emily BFF. Now, speaking of books that you need to get your hands on, uh, it's important to not forget that we're doing a work read-along very soon. So if you want to buy a copy of that book, you should do it right now. Or, as Lauren says, it's very free on the internet. It's very free, Which guys. is more than, like, a regular amount of free. It's, like, yes. particularly available. It's, like, so free. They're just it's giving so, it away. It's so ready for you. It is ready for you. And also... um. It's a very short read, guys. I know a few people asked me in the Facebook group, like, hey, we just finished Wives and Daughters. And that was kind of a lot. It's it's very quick. I read like four chapters um, just in a, in a few minutes. I mean, just that's an exaggeration. Like, like but, you strength know. training. <laughs> yes. Bonnets at Dawn is your long, long term endurance test. Okay, Hannah. So if people do want to join in on this work read along and give us their thoughts, how, where, what, how does that happen? On the internet? It happens on the internet. And Mm. you can find us as always on Instagram and Twitter at bonnets at dawn. You can email us bonnets at dawn at gmail.com. And you can join our Facebook group by searching bonnets at dawn and answering our two cheeky little robot check-in questions mm-hmm. yeah sounds and they, good. you know if data from star trek wanted to figure out if he was human or not he could answer those questions and be accepted into our facebook group <laughs> and he would know that he is a human and not a robot wow have i had too much cough medicine 
Probably. Oh, dang. <laughs> but not as much as I had during our Northanger Abbey episode. Hey, you Ooh. were done. You were I was done. flying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to Scarborough now, guys. See you next week. All right. Bye, guys. Thanks Bye. for listening. Bye.